0: This week, a big state budget surplus, the upcoming Northern Hemp Summit, and comedian Laurie Kilmartin visits Minnesota. But first, the manslaughter trial of former Brooklyn Center officer Kim Potter began this week.
1: Hazor, Hazor, Hazor! Ah, he shot me I just shot him. Yes, I grabbed the wrong.
0: Prosecutor Aaron Eldridge in opening statements said,
1: We expect not to be shot dead on the street for no reason. We expect them not to betray their badge,
2: and we expect them to uphold their oath.
0: The defense contends Potter mistakenly grabbed her gun instead of her taser when she shot and killed 20-year-old Dante Wright last April. So
3: when she says taser, 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 there's one last pause, the facts will show you, Mr. Wright can stop all he has to do is stop and he'd be
0: with us. The state's first witness in the trial was Dante Wright's mother, Katie. She testified that her son called her during his traffic stop in the moments before he was killed. Then minutes later, Dante's girlfriend, who was a passenger in the vehicle, Facebook messaged Katie.
1: I heard the officer telling Dante, no. Um, And I heard Dante say, no, I'm not. Don't. It sounded like he said, don't run. Dante said, no, I'm not. And then I heard them say, somebody tell somebody to hang up the phone, and then that's all I heard.
0: The trial continues this week. We'll have all of the latest updates. Switching gears now, the latest economic forecast released this week showed the state with a $7.7 billion budget surplus, the largest in state history.
4: Now we've got a remarkable opportunity. We've got a remarkable opportunity to expand economic opportunity for all Minnesotans and move Minnesota forward in a meaningful and lasting way.
0: Said Governor Tim Walls, m Bill Werner joins us with the report. Bill, how does this massive surplus affect the fast-approaching 2022 legislative session and the run-up to next year's fall election? Scott, it changes the
5: whole landscape, and Republican Senator Julie Rosen from Fairmont put her finger on one of the major reasons why.
2: My good friend uh, Dwayne Benson and Roger Moe, would always say there was more arguing when there was a surplus than when there was a deficit. And uh, that that is so true what I've lived through in my 20 years. That's absolutely the truth.
5: The state budget was set during the last legislative session earlier this year, but the huge deficit in a way turns 2022 into a budget session also during an election year, but without the risk of state government shutdown. And that's a recipe for a lot of wrangling. It took about five minutes after the budget forecast came out for the tax versus spend debate to again emerge front and center at the Minnesota Capitol. We're collecting more than we need from Minnesota, so it's their money, not ours. Um, And we need to start acting like that. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd, to which Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responded.
6: Providing some tax help to working Minnesotans could be part of a budget solution. But if Republicans think that just showering more benefits on the rich and the biggest corporations is the way to make
4: our economy stronger, they are very mistaken.
5: Governor Tim Walz, weigh it in.
4: I'm going to focus on that middle class. I am not interested in a tax cut for the 1% of the 1%.
5: No, we're not proposing to give big corporate tax cuts. Nobody's proposing that. Said House GOP leader Doubt, but he and fellow Republicans say businesses should not be hit with a 15% tax increase to replenish the state's unemployment insurance trust fund, which has been depleted by COVID. The governor responded. We'll get
4: that in the negotiations. We'll get that one fixed.
5: Doubt fired back. The governor mentioning negotiations, he said, is a slap in the face. I think Minnesotans deserve to have the answer on whether the governor supports preventing a 15% percent tax increase for small businesses across the state of Minnesota. The big budget surplus has also reignited the debate over health care. Republicans this week renewed their push for what's called reinsurance. In other words, the state picking up health care costs for the most seriously ill with the goal of holding down everyone else's health insurance premiums. Last summer, the legislature partly reauthorized reinsurance, but House Republican Minority Leader Doubt says because Democrats resisted that. Raise the cost of health care for Minnesotans. That was the Democrats' number one priority. We now have the money, uh, and there is no excuse not to keep those rising costs under control. Meanwhile, Governor Tim Walls this week dusted off his long standing proposal that all Minnesotans be allowed to buy health insurance through the state run Minnesota Care program.
4: Making sure that we're lowering the cost of health care for all, not just some that buy on the private market, not just through give backs to the insurance companies but a real fundamental shift in how we do that.
5: Republicans warn it is expanding state-run health care. And with a big budget surplus, Democrats want more than the already approved $250 million for COVID bonuses for frontline workers in Minnesota. Absolutely. Says House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler about increasing the amount of the bonus and the number of workers who are eligible for it. Something that Democrats and Republicans could not agree on last fall. Governor Walls says...
4: Still view very strongly about this. Um, I think that that conversation maybe now is broader. We'll, we'll see, but but I think we should still get that done. It was a promise we made to folks.
5: But House Republican Minority Leader Doubt says... It's amazing to me that we can't just keep the frontline worker money for frontline workers. Uh, Democrats have, have thrown in so many of their special interest groups uh, that, that frankly that money is going to be so diluted that's not helping anyone. And it is a good bet that with such a large budget surplus, there will be calls from Democrats for the state to provide more money to E-12 public schools. My question to them would be, what is your solution to close the achievement gap? Um, And and their answer, better think outside the box, because if their only answer is what it's been for the last decade, which is more money, um, it it will not solve the problem. Says House GOP minority leader doubt. Democratic majority leader Winkler responded with inflation. State support for schools has actually been cut.
6: It's not so easy uh, as to uh, just create a scholarship uh, or a voucher and hope for the best. We actually have to address the real needs of children to help them succeed in school.
5: With the big budget surplus, historically big, Hamlin University professor David Schultz says the situation now at the state capitol.
3: I just see everybody now saying, what, we've got money, well, we have money to burn, Let's let's give it back to everybody. And I mention this because one of the things that we need to be careful about um, is the fact that many, many years ago, when Jesse Ventura was governor, we had um, you know a multi-billion dollar surplus. It was what, approaching $6 billion. We went through what was very politically popular, which were things like Jesse's checks, and gave it back. And then what happened? Um, the crash of 2002, and suddenly the state found itself several billion in the hole. And we've got to be concerned about the fact that what? That at the end of the day we don't repeat those same mistakes uh, because and we don't do things like for example um make structural changes um to to let's say the budget or tax system of uh, thinking that this is permanent because it could change at, at a moment's notice and i think that should be one of the lessons that's learned but i doubt it will be
5: what you're saying professor does not sound very encouraging
3: yeah, I'm convinced that the Democrats will push for structural programs, the Republicans will push for structural tax cuts, yep. um, and there'll be some kind of a deal where we do both. And in about, I don't know, two, three years or so, we're going to be back to where we were back in roughly 2002, where we're like, how did we get here? Because what? We we confused one-time or short-term um, budget surplus with longer-term um, structural changes in the economy or... or, or um, Um, or tax systems, or revenue-producing systems, and that's really the root, root of a lot of the problems.
0: That's Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
2: Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who
1: are we? We're your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal. Provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Bringing power to the people of Minnesota.
3: Ranger Station? Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second, I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire.
6: Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous, and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Department of Corrections is now offering hiring bonuses for new corrections officers as well as walk-in interviews. Tasha Radel has more.
2: Corrections officers receive a competitive starting salary of around $21.59 an hour, excellent benefits including health, vision, and dental insurance, and a retirement plan that allows for retirement at age 55 with a pension, deferred compensation, and health insurance. They also start with a total of 29 paid days off. This includes vacation and holidays and earn more time with additional years of state service. Joining me today is Minnesota Corrections Commissioner Paul Schnell. Commissioner, can you tell us a little bit about the new incentive package to attract new corrections officers around the state?
6: Yeah, so we, we are rolling out this new initiative that would provide uh, cash incentives for new trainee corrections officers. They would receive a $5,000 bonus that would come in two installments, one after a year of service and one after a, uh, their second year of service. They also are offering our current staff um, $1,000 referral bonuses for COs that get hired. Um, These are really critical roles for Minnesota. They not only play a a critical role in transforming people's lives, changing the trajectory of people's lives, uh, but that ultimately results in, in helping us all be safer. And so these incentives are key. To helping us accomplish our mission.
2: Now, I understand, uh, in addition to kind of the monetary incentives, you're going to also be offering walk in interviews. This is something new and could really be a game changer.
6: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that, that sometimes people have uh, talked about is the fact that sometimes being hired in, in, in government service can take a long time and, and be a quite a lengthy process. We've worked to to shorten the process significantly. Beginning on Monday, uh, new trainee corrections officer applicants will be able to walk in and interview at any of our correction facilities across the state, all 11 of them. And we think that that's remarkable and that that, uh, process will be uh, expedited. There will be virtual interviews that will occur. Uh, We have uh, opportunities for people to access our recruiters with a, a website link. Um, so, you know, there, we know that these roles are so important that we want to make sure that we remove barriers for people who are considering uh, a different job, a new role, um, to, to come and check out corrections. You know, corrections is not for everyone, but uh, it's not easy, but it's immensely rewarding.
2: Commissioner Shell, that kind of leads me right into my next question. Who would be the ideal candidate to become a corrections officer? What type of education or background does he or she need if they're an interested applicant?
6: So a person simply needs to have um, a high school diploma or GED um, and, you know, pass a background, a basic background uh, investigation, but it's very quick and and efficient. Um, That's really the key thing. And, And most importantly, is a, is a desire to make a difference, a desire to work in public service? Uh, that's what these uh, jobs are, and that's why they're so important uh, that we felt the need to to make sure that that we're attracting people who truly want to make a difference, make an investment make a career in corrections.
2: Thanks again to my guest, Minnesota Corrections Commissioner Paul Schnell. Once again, correction officer positions are available at the following Minnesota correctional facilities. Stillwater, Oak Park Heights, Faribault, St. Cloud, Red Wing, Togo, Shakopee, Lionel Lakes, Moose Lake, Willow River, and Rush City. For more information, you can head online to mn.gov. Back to you, Scott. Thank you,
0: Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The industrial hemp industry is looking for regulatory certainty and part of that effort takes place next week in the upper Midwest. The Northern Hemp Summit is scheduled for December 13th and 14th in Fargo. The event will feature regional and national experts in hemp production, processing, marketing and policy. Brownfield Ag correspondent Mark Dorncamp spoke with Minnesota Industrial Hemp Association President Dave Ladd who gives a rundown of next week's summit.
7: Well I think there's a number of key issues. Again this is a re-emerging sector the industrial hemp sector and a lot of the issues that agriculture has faced over the years over the decades what have you uh, are being faced by the industrial hemp sector Uh, of course then they have some other variables uh, as well so everything from uh, liability insurance uh, to crop insurance to end uses uh, you know this can be utilized in, in food and fiber and, you know, we talked about hempcrete. I mean, there's just a lot of value-added uses for this. So what are some of the end uses for it? What are some of the emerging markets? Uh, obviously, there's always access to capital issues, so capital. Uh, and so those sorts of things um, are what, you know, I'm going to particularly cover. And then also uh, just making sure, you know, we have what was approved by the federal farm bill. And I think we have to ensure that there's uniformity or conformity uh, in in a lot of areas with uh, federal law. And sometimes on a state by state basis, whether it's uh, edibles, uh, you know, food, uh, FDA uh, decisions, all those sorts of things, we have to make sure that that we're all on the same page because uh, uncertainty can stifle opportunity and innovation and i think that's what the industry whether you're in the cbd extraction industry or sector or you are in the food sector or you're in the uh, you know hempcrete sector whatever it might be uh, again that regulatory uncertainty can can breed uh, some some lack of opportunity or missed opportunities so we just want to ensure that we keep moving the ball down the field
3: and with that being said Dave, how would you assess the progress that has been made on the regulatory front here in, in, say, the last year or two?
7: I just think there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, I think that, um, you know, the thing is we have um, CBD, which is which is obviously part of the reemerging industrial hemp sector, um, but we also have a lot of a lot of players and regulators uh, in the, in the mix, and so I think that. Uh, There's still a lot of progress to be made. I think it's important to take a long-term or a pragmatic approach uh, to that, uh, to ensure that we're having a dialogue with elected officials, whether it be the Minnesota Department of Agriculture here in Minnesota, for example, uh, FDA, members of Congress, the whole landscape needs to kind of be on the same page and make sure that we're just taking a very pragmatic approach. Because the challenge is if you're a company or a business who has invested and you have tried to develop a market, establish a market, and then all of a sudden you get regulators coming in, uh, that can be a challenge when you're looking at whether it be state agencies, federal agencies, federal regulators, what have you.
3: So the Northern Hemp Summit is going to be December 13th and 14th in Fargo.
7: Yeah, registration is open for the... 2021 northern hemp summit and it's a two-day event and it's going to include regional national experts on hemp production processing marketing regulations all those things that we just discussed and there's also going to be a trade show with the summit and i think to learn more uh, listeners can go to northern hemp summit.org they'll get everything they need location venue agenda and i think it's going to be a good couple of days up there in far
0: that's Minnesota Industrial Hemp Association president Dave Ladd with Mark Dorenkamp. Minnesota Matters will return after this
2: Adopt US Kids presents multiple choice parenting
3: Your daughter just had her first breakup do you a put yourself in her
4: shoes how could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C,
3: take charge.
4: Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D,
3: help her find a new boyfriend.
4: I know a great place to meet boys. The internet.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Lori Kilmartin is a stand-up comedian and former writer for the Conan O'Brien Show. She'll be performing in Minnesota this week, and I recently spoke with Kilmartin about the challenges of being funny amid a pandemic. Obviously, we are still in a pandemic, and I'm wondering how that has influenced your creative process, if at all. Did it make you more productive, less productive, how has it impacted the way you put your act together?
1: Well, it, I mean, it impacted my life quite a bit. My mom died of COVID last year, and then uh, I was writing for Conan, and our show went off the air, and that that was hastened, I, I believe, by the fact that we were just doing these, you know, pretty unfulfilling Zoom shows, you know, or, or shows with no audiences, you know? Um, so for me... Um, you know, there's a there's a lot more to write about. I talk about my mom's COVID in my act. I have a I have a chunk of material about it, and um, uh, I, I I don't know if it's more or less productive. I think it's comedy is so you know you're always just feeling anxiety about you know new jokes and not enough new material, and I don't think that's lessened or written. Um But because I've been able to go on the road a little bit more you know in the, starting in the last couple of months I've been able to do longer sets and just kind of work on more material so I guess in a good way um, the fact that I'm not I'm not at a job writing every day and now I'm out performing uh, most weekends um, has you know made my acts better <laughs> so something good is coming out of it but I had a, I lost a lot this year or the, since the pandemic for sure
0: uh, I'm I'm very sorry for the loss of your mother. I'm I'm oh, sorry thanks. about that. Um, it, it, do you find is it is it therapeutic to talk about it and and make it funny? Is that kind of how you uh is that part of your grieving process?
1: Absolutely. I mean when my dad died, I did a whole special about it called 45 jokes about my dead dad and he had, he had like a you know a regular, you know, death from cancer and he had a he had home hospice. So he, he had what my sister and I like call the good death. And then my mom had the isolated, you know, in a hospital over iPad uh, COVID death. So um, it's weird. Like when I was I would I started joking about it while she had COVID. And then, you know, ap- after she died, obviously, I had different a different material on it um, and early I guess early on like in 2020 summer of 2020 people would still be kind of aghast when I would I would even mention it and I think it's I, what I've noticed is like a year and a half later you know people are not aghast. like it seems like everyone has either know somebody or, or is at least used to hearing a phrase and uh, it's not it's not a shock anymore It's really it's really interesting how the response um, has changed to just me saying my mom died of COVID, you know, which is a setup to a joke. (laughs) Right. Um, But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, as I'm watching the as the pandemic becomes more just a daily part of our lives, it becomes less shocking, which is interesting to track, I guess.
0: Do you think that it's changed how audiences perceive comedy right now? I mean, are they just starving to be distracted, do you find? Or is that not something that's noticeable in in reaction that you get from audiences?
1: I, You know, I think that people that come out now really want to have a good time. I mean, I guess before the pandemic, you know, you might have the odd person just walking by the club and popping in or somebody... You know, finding some Groupon discounts and not being real hardcore comedy fans, but it feels like the people that are coming out now really need to be around other people and want to be entertained. That's what it feels like. It feels a little more urgent now. Does that make sense?
0: Yep, it sure does.
1: For sure. I mean, you just get to turn off your head for a little while and go, here, you take it. (laughs) You take the controls of my brain. Yes, I, I don't want to find something for myself to do in my isolated apartment or house where I'm by myself all the time. Yeah, for sure.
0: Exactly. You talked a little bit about your writing process, and I'm one of those people that ever since the old Dick Van Dyke show thought that the writing room uh, would be the greatest place in the world to spend some time. Uh, having written for, for Conan, I'm wondering, is, is it the greatest place or is it grueling?
1: It is the greatest place. And I miss it a lot. I really, really miss my job. <laughs> um, I just got to spend a lot of time with the funniest people. And uh, I laughed a lot every day. And I miss that a lot, even though I was a monologue writer. So a lot of my time was spent alone, uh, you know, writing jokes. The sketch writers usually uh, met separately and chimed in on stuff and kind of worked off of each other. Um, you know, when myself and – it ended up just being me and Brian Kylie, who's also great. He's a great comic. We were the monologue writers towards the very end, just two of us. And, um, you know, just just getting to hang out with Conan and Andy, Andy Richter, for like two hours a day in different meetings while those guys riffed and, um, you know, prepared for the show and went over the jokes and made fun of our jokes, made fun of, you know, our how bad we, our jokes were that day. Whatever, you know being roasted by those guys was uh, really a lot of fun.
0: I've talked to comedians before. I've heard them say that uh, Minneapolis is a great place for comedy. I I don't know if you're able to actually pinpoint great spots for comedy or not, but do you agree with that, and why do you think that is if if you do?
1: I do. I mean, Minneapolis is a great comedy scene, great tradition, but also uh, the room, the Acme space is, Magical. I don't know what to tell you. Some rooms are just magic, and you know, there's. It's not necessarily that it's in Minneapolis, but it happens to be in Minneapolis, and it. I I don't know what to tell you. It's it's kind of strange. Like maybe the history of all the laughter in that room sort of envelops the crowd, um, but it there. I'm trying to think it's the if it's the building or if it's the ceilings or there's all these different things that can make a room great but also I think the fact that it's it has a history and a long history of having great comics somehow and this doesn't make any sense and I'm an atheist so this shouldn't make sense but it sort of seeps into the character of the of the floors of the walls of the ceilings of the stage and and You step out on stage and you feel that sort of magic tingling of the audience in front of you and the lights kind of blinding you and the redness of the curtain behind you, and um, it's so much fun.
0: Thank you to my guest, Lori Kilmartin. Her new album, Corset, is available everywhere. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.